0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. So Anthony, let's start by just helping people who are listening here understand what it was that got you started on this journey to help other people.
1: You know, when I think about myself, you know, I was um, homeless and $35,000 in debt before I even turned 19 years old, Dave. Um, I grew up in a very strong Christian faith home. Um, I had four loving parents growing up, two biological parents and two step parents. And so my biological mother married my amazing other father. I don't like the term stepfather, but other father. I mean, we had two other siblings um, and we lived in California. Then my biological father had married an amazing uh, woman and it's my other mother and they live in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. So I grew up on both sides of the, uh, of the world, I, I pretty much say. <laughs> you know, I was a military um, son, uh, Marines and Army. And so my parents taught me two important things, uh, Dave, growing up, which which was, hey, law. One, here's how you do not go to hell. And two, here's what you do if the police pull you over so you can get home. They never really taught me anything about life. They never taught me anything about money. They never taught me nothing about wealth. It was, here's how you go to heaven. Here's how you get home if you get pulled over. Um, and so going into the real world, graduating high school and going out into the real world, I said, all right, let me learn my own. You know, let me learn how to, you know, get the money, uh, get the ladies, you know, and just have a good, good time. And I just made a lot of mistakes. I mean, I um, I, I got the ladies and got the girlfriend and, Um, got the money, racked up credit cards, took out a lot of loans, um, tried to please the wrong people, tried to impress the wrong people. And all that, eventually I had to drop out of school. And when I dropped out of school, I lost my job. When I lost my job, I lost my income. When I lost my income, I lost my apartment and lost everything that I had. And I thought I was going home, but my other father said, no, since you think you're a grown man, go be one and live with your decisions. So with all the pride inside of me, you know, I was like, I got this. I call all my friends and all my friends like, yo, you can't come over here. And so I'm sleeping in a Walmart parking lot. I am taking showers at the Boys and Girls Club, the YMCA. I'm sleeping on floors some nights. I'm sleeping in my car some nights. You know, I'm just all over the place at the age of 19. Not because my parents are broke, not because they're, you know, they don't have space for me, but because of my decisions. And it was right around that time that I I told myself from my spiritual perspective that, God, if I get out of this situation, I'm going to change my life around. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to make some more stupid mistakes. uh, But God, I'm going to be I'm going to be a better individual. And that was the day Dave, that I said, I want to help people. I want to help people avoid my mistakes. I want to help um, all people um, learn how to really, really, really build wealth. You know how to avoid debt. Um, I have a heart for all people, but I have a I have a special part, honestly, if I could be candid on your show for minorities, you know, because mm-hmm. we don't have the, the sometimes we don't have the luxurious of the education within our communities. And I said, hey, you know, let me let me talk to all people, but let me go back into that low-income community. Let me go back to that low-income school and spread this message of, hey, here are some life skills you need to know. Here are some money skills you need to know. You can be wealthy at the age of 25. You can purchase a home at 25. You don't have to rack up debt. So uh, that was really the the thing that got me into the journey of just the lack of education, great loving parents, but who really couldn't teach me something that they didn't know. Yeah, And so that's, that's where I'm at today.
0: Oh, I love it. So like building wealth feels like a good end goal, but some basic financial literacy feels like some of what's required as as a foundation to be able to even get to a place where building wealth is a possibility. I assume you think it's important for teens and young adults to focus on building financial literacy. Is that part of the work that you're doing? And is there, are there special tips or tricks that you could give to people here who might be listening who have younger adults or teens in their homes as to how they might pursue creating that kind of literacy so they'd actually start on the right foot.
1: Financial education is very, very important. Um, I find it interesting that in our high schools and middle schools, we're teaching our young people how to read, write, process information, and add. Uh, But we're not teaching them how to deal with income. So we're giving them all this information so they can go out there uh, and benefit the community, get a job you know, and make income, but we're not teaching them how to deal with income. So I, I firmly believe that financial education is is the beginning grounds. It That is the breeding point from the very beginning. But we lack that in our high schools. And sometimes we lack that in our homes and our church communities and our own communities. And so I do believe that. So some of the basic stuff when it comes to to kids, uh, the very first thing is, I always say, just have a $500 emergency for like kids. I always say, you know what? Teach them how to have an emergency fund. Teach them that emergencies will happen. They will break their cell phone. They will get a flat tire. Uh, COVID will happen, and so teach them to prepare for that. uh, Because we know that you know in America we have about seventy eight percent of us living paycheck to paycheck. So why not teach that to our middle schoolers and high schoolers? Because here's the secret: if we can teach them to have five hundred dollars minimum in their checking account or savings account uh, for emergencies. 44% 44% of the American people today can't pay cash for a $500 emergency. So now they're ahead of nearly half of the American people. You know, then after that, it's teach them to avoid debt. You know, a lot of people sometimes disagree with me. They say, hey, there's good debt. There's bad debt. I My philosophy is debt is debt, you know, bottom line. You know, if you're borrowing money, that's debt. You know, I am 100% debt free outside of my mortgage, but I still have debt. You know, so I'm not saying that my mortgage is good debt. I'm not saying it's bad debt. I'm saying it's debt. And so I got to pay yeah. it back. So let's teach them to, you know, hey, avoid debt as much as possible um, unless you're getting a mortgage. Uh, then after that, let's teach them how to pay cash for their, their college and pay cash for, you know, their first car. <laughs> and then save and give. Um, but and I think the crucial thing, especially for high schoolers, uh, for parents listening right now, is to really teach your son or daughter to get a debt-free degree. You know, going to Harvard doesn't make them better than someone who goes to an in-state school. Going to an in-state school doesn't make you any better than someone going to a community college. Going to a community college doesn't make you any better than than someone going into the military. Going into the military doesn't make you any better than someone going to a trade school. Education is education, you know. Uh, What makes you a better individual is your work ethic, your character and your integrity so if we can teach our young people to be smart to be intelligent to be, to be hard workers um to have goals and vision and just to work hard uh, then they're going to be successful period and so th- those are the, the the main foundations that i'm teaching to parents to help them with the foundation of uh young people's mind when it comes to money
0: it's interesting my kids are 13 11 8 and 3 and for the three older children We've just uh, finally uh, opened up their own individual accounts so that when it's time for them to uh, get a birthday card that has some money in it or uh, do some work around the house as a chore, we're actually using Venmo or using PayPal to put money (laughs) in, right? Right. But then are also, the second they want to buy something, able to take it out to teach them that it's not this imaginary, hey, can I uh, get a skin on Fortnite? Whatever that is, right? <laughs> every t- every time they ask, they they think there's this uh, you know kind of imaginary fairy that just uh, you know sends money back and forth. Now, they have have visibility to how much money they actually have in their accounts, mm-hmm. and can weigh decisions on. Oh, if I want to buy this thing that costs five dollars, but I'm saving for something that costs fifty dollars, how much more time might it take for me to actually get to that fifty dollar thing because of the trade off that I'm making in my real-time satisfying my want for this $5 thing. Uh, is, is there a rule of thumb on kind of when you ought to start these conversations or is earlier just better?
1: You know, earlier is better. Um, uh, one of my good friends has a elementary school here in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And I, I just love what she's doing. Um, she is actually taking fifth graders on college tours, college tours. And I was asking her, I said, why are you taking a fifth grader on a college tour? They don't understand it. She says, you're correct. They don't really fully comprehend what they're experiencing, but they're impressionable. So the image is in their head. And as they grow up, they're asking questions about what was in their head. And so I was like, that's brilliant. And so for what I do, um, I have nephews. Uh, they call it the chocolate babies, big YouTube stars. And, um, you know, it's, uh, Theo is six, Uriah is five, Anaya is three, and Uzi is one. And so when Theo uh, was like two, when he started talking and understanding, he would say, Uncle, hey, can I get some ice cream? i will be like, yeah. I need you to do me a favor, though. Okay? You got to work for it. Work? I was like, yeah, work. You got to work. If you work, I'm going to give you the money to go buy the ice cream it was like work. <laughs> you know we, we started early and so you know I'll tell him, "Hey, go go take uh put this in over here or help grandma bring in one of the groceries." You know, work in exchange for money. And so now every time when my my nephew sees me, he says, "Okay, Anthony, can I work?" <laughs> you know, cuz he wants he he knows the exchange between working and money. Um another thing that he's picked up on is that I don't give away birthday gifts or Christmas gifts. I don't give them anything. And the reason being is because I feel as if sometimes buying them toys, that's great, that's cool. I'm not telling, telling people who do that is, they're horrible. Um, but as a uh, young person, specifically minority culture, um, you know, I want them to graduate with about $100,000. So what I do for every birthday and Christmas, I put money into their 529 plan. So I write them a birthday card and I give them a receipt of, hey, here's what I put inside of your thing. Now, they don't understand nothing right now. They don't get it. Uh, But when they walk across the stage, they're going to remember two things. Uncle Anthony taught me how to work in exchange for money. And he never gave me actual physical toys growing up. But because of his investment, I can go to college debt free. So now what I just did is I just taught him what to do with his kids. And, and, and now we're starting a generational thing because of what we started doing at one years old, two years old. So uh, those are the things that I really say, start as early as you possibly can. Um, one of my good friends, Richard Cruz, you know her. She says more is caught than taught. And so I want them to see me like, hey, I want them to read the card. Happy birthday. Merry Christmas. Here's $1,000 in your 529. They're, they're, I'm teaching them. Right now, they're a little sad because they don't have toys, but when they turn 18 and they go to college debt-free and graduate 21, 22 if college is their path and graduate with no debt because of what their uncle did, uh, because of what their family did, uh, that's going to be one of the greatest gifts that I could have ever given them.
0: So good. We opened five twenty nines for our kids the week they were born.
1: Come on, if man. Someone,
0: if if someone's listening that doesn't know what a five twenty nine is, can you give a just a quick? Here's here's what it is and why it's a thing that you ought to be thoughtful of.
1: It's it's simple. Five twenty nine is a college savings plan. It's a college savings account, um, and what it is is it's, uh, it's tax free, and you know you get the compound interest. And so as long as they go to college, um, you know it's going to be it's tax free, no penalties. Go to it, and here's a good thing. If you have three kids and let's say they have a huge difference, you can use some of that money to go to one person's college. Then it can roll over to the next kid, and then roll over to the next kid. And then if you're done with kids, it can honestly go to yourself, you and you and your spouse. So that is the ideal thing. You said the same week. I'm telling you right now. When I get married and have kids, they when my mom, my mom and my wife are going home with the kids, I'm going to the bank. <laughs> you know, I'm opening up this five twenty nine because compound interest is our best friend.
0: Absolutely. So I grew up in a house where uh, talking about money was just a little bit taboo. Uh, I'm not sure if it was about being polite, being Christian, being decent, being whatever. But for whatever reason, it just wasn't a thing that we felt comfortable with. And I'm wondering if there's a way to kind of challenge this you know, any kind of stereotypical thinking or taboo thinking around money being a thing that we shouldn't talk about. and. Instead, turn it into a thing that we have to talk about if we're actually going to equip our kids to be able to fend for themselves when they leave the house.
1: You know, I was playing golf with my dad on my birthday here around um, um, around July, and I asked my dad that question. I said, man, how come we never talked about money? Like, you, you how come? He was like, well, son, I can't talk about something that I didn't know. Mm. Like. And I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? You had a job, so you had money. We lived in a house. He said, son, I grew up with 18, 18 sisters and brothers, all from the same woman. Um, my, just to have a house, just to have a roof over our head and food on our table, for us back then, that was success. That was, you're making good money. Just to have a job. And my, and my dad's first job was a cotton picker with my grandma. He helped her out on the farm and he said, just to have a job, I taught you what I knew. Get a job, stay saved, stay alive. And I was like, okay. He said, so now that you know what's important, now you can do that with your kids. He said, but growing up with you, I didn't know how to have that conversation because I didn't, I didn't know. Like I, I didn't know how to pass it. So I think there are some people who are just fearful to talk about money, but there are honestly some people who just do not know what to say because they never had it. And so now I I understand that from my father. But the moment that I have kids, which I'm practicing with my nephews and my niece right now, have that conversation often. You know, when I go home and I'm doing a budget, if I stayed home for like a couple of months, I let my nephews and niece sit around the table and watch me do the budget. You know, I go and I ask them, hey, did you work today? How much money do you have in your savings account? Because we teach them how to give, save, and spend. You know, what's what's that? What's going on? What are you saving for? Let's talk about that. Okay, Anthony, I want a, I want a toy gun. Okay, cool. What Where are you giving? Well, I give money to church. And then I, see my, I saw my mom and dad give money into the church, so I give money to the church too. So I think now my generation, I mean, even your generation, because you're doing it with your kids, now we can have that conversation moving forward. Uh, But my parents couldn't have it because they didn't know how to have
0: it. Yeah. So you already talked about life, you know, inevitably will throw curves. Obviously, COVID has been a real curve, throwing everybody for a loop. Uh, I can't help but think about the young people, the high school and college bound kids who are supposed to be preparing for the rest of their lives and are now wondering if school's even going to come back in person and uh, just the uncertainty of these times. Is there, any advice that you'd give to either these younger kids who are now wondering, is this still a thing that I ought to pursue or the parents who are trying to console or, or or support anyone who's in the midst of a man with as much uncertainty as there is right now? How do I how do I continue to move forward?
1: You know, during these uncertain times, um, especially with young people graduating college, especially right now, you know, they went through four years of school and they're graduating during during this pandemic time. You know, Jobs aren't really hiring as much, and uh, things are just looking very weird. The number one thing that I'm telling young people to do is to focus on the things you can control and do not focus on the things you can't control, okay? You can control your mind. You can control your mouth. You can control you know, your heart. Um, focus on those things, okay? This too shall pass. Uh, we're not gonna be in this forever. Um, and so what I'm saying to young people is use your gifts and your skills, okay? Uh, don't focus on what the what Fox and Friends are saying, what CNN is saying. No, you get out there and you figure out how can you take advantage of this season? Right now is the best time to become an entrepreneur. If you graduated to be a school teacher and let's say schools are not hiring as much right now, which they are, but you maybe you can go online and start an online tutoring company Start helping these rising seniors who are going back to school, who will have to take the ACT and the SAT this year. Do an online tutoring program. Charge 50 bucks an hour. Charge whatever you can. Get creative. If you're a graphic designer, you don't have to go work for a company. Do do some stuff from the house. You know, there are a lot of opportunities uh, to really take advantage of this time. You know, you and I both are speakers. And I lost a lot of money from COVID because I couldn't get out and travel as much. So I had to get creative. I'm like, all right, team, this is what we're going to do. We're going to flip it from being on the stage. We're going to jump on the internet and we're going to host virtual conferences. So focus on the things you can control and go ahead and acknowledge the things that you can't control. Don't stress on them. Well, okay, I, I can't I can't focus on that. All right. I lost money over here. I, I can't do this, but I'm good at this. How can I use this now during this season that's, and do that that's good. and still that's keep good. your resume updated? So that way, when a job market does open back up in your particular field, you are ready to jump on it as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I have a career coaching group that meets on a monthly basis. We had a conversation last night and uh, there was a person who happens to be a yoga instructor has a yoga studio. Yoga studios, obviously, are a thing that people can't walk into. And the question was, like, how do I? Yes, I've you know moved to doing virtual yoga teaching, but it's a pretty saturated market and Man, we just had the best conversation about how to think about what other people who also like yoga might also like that she could, because of her gifts, her talents, her passions, her skills, also provide them instead of them buying them from someone else. Mm. You know, I know nothing about kombucha. I know nothing about, uh, you know, oils. I know nothing about, uh, you know, any any of the stuff that was like thrown out in this group discussion. but. The thing that came to mind was, man, as much as we would not have asked for this situation, those that do lean into getting creative in how they might use their gifts in unconventional ways, when things actually return to normal, will now be equipped with even more that they can bring to the market, and uh, hopefully it ends up being something that propels them forward uh, in in an even better way because of these challenges creating more opportunity. Let's talk about student debt. Uh, mm, I understand that the average student is now graduating with around thirty-five thousand dollars worth of student debt, and uh, if they get a professional degree, uh, it can even reach six figures. So, uh, are we actually setting people up for success with that kind of debt to start their lives? It seems like the answer is no, and I know from your work that <laughs> it's a, a softball question at best. But how do we how do we help people make? the right decision in weighing the benefits of walking into their first day of their professional lives with a massive amount of debt versus other choices they could have made in the education process.
1: Yeah, your stats are right on point. And I would add this stat in there because it it bothers me. A 50 of these young people were graduated about $150,000 to about $300,000 in student loan debt with their master's program. Uh, So that's a mortgage, but they don't own any real estate. You know, and so you're absolutely right. We are not setting them up for success. We're actually setting them up for failure. Young people are walking into this season thinking they're going after their dream, but their dream quickly turns into a nightmare. I interviewed a guy that has nine hundred and eighty thousand dollars in student loan debt, almost a million dollars, just to be a dentist, and he has a close to a million dollars in student loan debt. Wow. He says it will take him forever to pay it off. And I believe it, you know? And so how do we have this conversation? That's that's good. It's such a good question because I talk about this in my book, Debt-Free Degree and on my show, um, The Table. And what, what I'm teaching young people is to step back and have a vision, identify if college is even your, your path because I know several people like myself uh, who never finished college, but who are very successful, making a lot of money and really operating within their purpose. And so if you wanna be a carpenter, for an example, you don't have to go to a four-year school and rack up $200,000 in debt. If you wanna be a hairstylist, you don't have to go to a four-year school, four-year university to become that. But if you wanna be a doctor, if you wanna be a lawyer, yes, you do need to go to school. And so the very first thing is to step back and do the vision, you know, what do we do? How do we do it? Then after you have the vision, you just take debt off of the table. All right, I want to be a school teacher. So I know I have to go to school and get a bachelor's degree and you can get in a business or you can get an education. Okay, cool, great. I'm not taking out any student loans. When you take that out the picture, community colleges, in-state schools, different type of programs, start looking attractive. And then you do the research. Okay, what's the best route to go and do this? If your budget is $10,000 a year, for an example, that's what you and your family can pay for. Okay, you're going to look for schools within that budget. If your budget is $25,000 a year, then you're going to look for schools in that budget. Everyone says, Anthony, I don't. you don't want me to go to Harvard. You don't want me to go to Yale. No, I don't care where you go. I just don't want you to get any debt because it's not about where you start and neither is it about where you finish. It's all about how you finish. And if you finish with a massive amount of student loan debt, that hurts.
0: Yeah, no, it does, and I, I can remember the conversation with my parents at 16, so mm. we're two years before college is even happening, and they're like, look, we love you. I came from a a, a pretty modest household in terms of four kids. My dad was a single earner and uh, was a, worked in construction, so they're, they're, we, didn't have a, we didn't have a lot of money, and they were very honest, like, hey, you're the oldest. Congratulations on your ambition to go to college. If you wanna go, you have options. We will absolutely let you stay here and you can go to community college. It will be a fantastic option for you or you can pay for yourself to go to college, but you have to find the resources to actually pay for it. And so, man, I started looking at every scholarship. What were the requirements? It pushed me to try and get the grades or the SAT score. I mean, like, I, I, man, I was, I was into it, but my choices of which schools I went to were formed by which financial aid packages came back in a way that would allow me to actually go to the school that I wanted to. And as much as I can remember the 16-year-old version of myself, frustrated with my parents for not, you know, wanting me to leave every school a possibility on the table. Yeah. I came out of school with very I I, I did. I, I don't want you to get angry with me. I had a small amount of debt, but yeah. I was able to pay it off within three years. And it was not, you know, this thing that was overwhelming. But yeah. I didn't have every school in the country as a possibility because only the handful that came back with the kind of aid packages that I wouldn't have to be responsible for, scholarships, grants; those were the ones that were the you know schools I could pick, and it made a huge, it just made a huge difference in how fast I could actually buy a house, actually buy a car, all the things that you want to do when you're an adult out of the house.
1: And one of the things, and I'm not mad at you at all because I mean I did the same thing when I went to school. I mean I took out student loans, you know, and and I think it's it's just because. One thing I like about your situation more than my situation was you went to the school that you could afford. You was like, "Hey, this is the best package for me. I'm going to go over here." Me, I went to the, just any school. I didn't care. I just wanted to be a Kappa. I just wanted to see the ladies. I just said I'm going to school for the wrong reasons. You went for the right reasons, and you looked at the schools for the, for the best return of your money. Um, and I think that we got to start teaching young people that hey, go to the school you can't afford if you can't afford Harvard don't go to Harvard if you if you can't afford this school don't go to it go to the school that you can't afford that's going to give you the bang for your buck and you make the best of that experience. Okay. I sat down with a Yale graduate, uh, not a Yale graduate a Princeton graduate on my show and he's and I asked him to say hey if you had to rack up a lot of debt to go to Princeton would you do it no. He said, because I know a lot of prestigious men. I mean, he said, I know a lot of people who went to a prestigious school, but they're not prestigious men. And I was like, ooh. He said, I know people who went to a community college, transferred to an in-state college, and they're more successful and they're smarter than people who have $300,000 in student loan debt who graduated from Princeton. Yeah. And he was like, it's all about how you steward where you go. And I think that's what we have to start teaching our young people how to steward the opportunity of wherever they go. And then if you steward that well, you'll get out and you'll be successful.
0: I mean, I do have to say, I got like the luckiest, uh, best, uh, whatever. God was part of it. But I got to go to a great school that happened to be at the top of my list that also ended up affording just a ton of scholarships and grants because of a whole host of great factors. So yay Yay, Pepperdine, come on. Pepperdine, Uh, okay. Come on, I'm away, let's go. Come on, (laughs) come on. Uh, All right, let's shift gears into social media, because I have seen uh, some of the great content that you put out. You uh, get very real with the people that are following you about the kind of choices that they will inevitably have to make to have the kind of life they inevitably want to have. So, you know, uh, saying no to things, uh, you know, you're going to have to say no for a while is one of the things I've seen you say quite a bit. As in, you can't go out to eat. You can't go on this vacation. You, you know, like there's must haves and wanna haves, and you've got to let go of the the wanna haves until you actually have saved the money for uh, the things that you actually want. How do how do you in a in a kind of instant gratification kind of world where there's you know attention spans that are shorter and there's so much you know just interest in having satisfaction quickly? How do you get someone to become disciplined in this mindset of saying no and this mindset of discipline generally.
1: You know, one of the things I'm teaching young people and not young people but just specifically like my my target audience which is right around 18 to 34 to 40s, um I I'm always reminding them that the caliber of your future will be determined by the choices you make today. Uh, and the choices you made today need to be able to need to be good for your 40-year-old, 50, 60, 70, 80-year-old self. And so, you know, I'm blessed and privileged to make Good money, a lot of money, just to be honest. And um, and I was—I've been making this kind of money for a while. And I tell people this often. I didn't, I just built my house two years ago because I wanted to do it right. I just purchased one of my dream cars three months ago. I've been driving a 2009 Acura TL with 200,000 miles on this thing. You know, because the hardest thing and the hardest person to say no to is yourself. You want to feel that instant gratification. Everyone is having the Louis Vuitton bags, the Gucci backpacks, the Range Rovers, the BMWs, the Bentleys, the big houses with the all, with the pools in the back. And everyone's going on these dream vacations that you see online. Uh, But truth of the fact is, you don't know what they're experiencing behind closed doors. And for me, I want to experience the all moment behind closed doors. I want to have the all moment before I show it to the world. And I—that that is the main thing that I'm really teaching people is when you have financial peace, who you are and who you present yourself to be online, they're going to see the peace. It's going to really come through. Um, and so it's hard to help people get disciplined because I can't teach discipline, but I can teach them, hey, what's your deep why? Why did I tell myself no uh, to so much? I'll tell you why. My mom, when she got married, Dave, She didn't have a wedding. She went to the south of the border with no ring. Cost them $25 to get married. My mom and dad never been out of the country until about three years ago when I sent them out there for the anniversary. We've never had a family vacation. I don't know what Disney World or Disneyland looks like to this day at 36 years old because my family couldn't afford to do that. Christmas, oh, we got one good gift. And I'm talking about like maybe a $50, $60 gift. You know, I, I don't, I remember putting my socks up my shoes because I had holes in my shoes and my family couldn't afford them, um, anything, especially outside of payless, back in the days. So why is it so easy for me to tell myself no? It's because me telling myself no today is telling my future kids yes. Me telling myself no is me saying yes to my wife. Me telling myself no today and building up my savings account and investing into my future and building my brand and not driving and having all the latest stuff is so I can have a family vacation and I can take my kids to Israel and take them to the place where, you know, my Jesus Christ walked. Like, those are the things that I get excited about. Um, I tell myself no. So that way, when I die, when I die, I came into this world crying but I'll leave this world smiling because I'll be able to look up at my my wife, look up at my kids, look up at my grandkids and say, I'm leaving you with wealth. I'm leaving you with land. I'm leaving you with businesses and I'm leaving you with wisdom. I'm not leaving you with bills and just benefits. I'm leaving you with benefits and, and everything. And I'm smiling knowing that I did my part. And so I'm always encouraging people, stop going after the fake rich and build true wealth And start thinking about your future. Because I remember those days when I was in my 20s and I'm trying to have the latest car and everything to impress those friends. It hurt me more than it actually helped me. And so now, yes, I'm blessed to have the nice stuff. uh, But I told myself no for about eight years to gain it because I wanted to make sure my savings account was fat. You know, I want to make sure when I buy my car, I still got a fat savings account. I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. And my house... I didn't build no big old house. I built a 2,500 square foot home that is very, very affordable. Now, it is dope now, Dave. I'm going to be honest with you. But it's only 2,500 square feet. And I even when I go in the house, man, I, if I'm not upstairs, I don't have that AC running. I remember I got my first AC bill. <laughs> And I went from an apartment to my house, and my first AC bill was $483. And my apartment was only like $65. And I said, oh, no, we're going to cut off every light, every AC. You know, I mean, and the $400 bucks was not a problem, but what am I saying? I just went, no, cut it off. You don't need it. Bye. Just,
0: I will just warn you, when you do have these children— Oh, Lord. The problem you're going to have is that they think that they own the electric company. My kids <laughs> leave every light on in this house every single day. It is unbelievable. <laughs> I get that electric bill, and I'm like, all right, where's your where's your PayPal now, buddy? Send on. it on over. Come on.
1: Hey, man, listen, I'm going to charge them for light. Hey, your light bill this month for your room?
0: Yeah, I need $50.
1: <laughs> That's
0: right. <laughs> Tell me about your most recent book, Destroy Your Student Loan Debt. Uh, I assume this is a uh, geared toward people who are already carrying debt, but uh, what's it all about?
1: Yeah, you know, so when I went on book tour, man, the number one thing that I was getting from people was like, hey, thank you so much for this book for my kid, uh, but what about me? Like, what do I do? I needed this book 10 years ago, 15 years ago, five years ago. Uh, what about me? And so right when COVID hit, I told my team, uh, you know, since, since the government is delaying these uh, student loans and counseling interest for the next few months and, and pausing the payments, Let's write a book and teach them how to take advantage of this time. Let's let's show people how to attack this student loan debt. And so one of the things that I really loved about this book is there's no fluff to it. You know, I don't do a long intro. You know, I'm not adding any any words to me to word count. No, it's 84 pages long. I jump straight into it. I tell you how to attack your debt. Here's how you refi. Um, here's when you should refi. Here's when you should not refi. Um. here's why you shouldn't wait on the government to wipe away your debt because here are the steps. If you're a part of the program, here's how you take advantage of the program while you're still attacking the debt. So I literally just go after it. There's not one extra word in this book. It'll take you about an hour and a half to read this book. It's 10 bucks long. And I'm telling you right now, it it, it, is, it is selling like hotcakes. I mean, we sold out Uh, Of so many, the first time we had to get some more because we were like we didn't think it was going to sell like that. Uh, But it's it's a it's a simple book. We weren't trying to make the list like my debt free degree book, um, but we were just trying to help as a lot of people as we possibly can.
0: That's great. All right, if there's just one single thing, which I know it's impossible to ask one single thing, but if uh, whether it's a parent or a student who is listening today, what is the one positive change that they could make in their life that would change? Everything else.
1: Yeah, I got it. It's easy. Don't allow your comfort zone to become your kill zone. Mm. Don't allow the thing that is so comfortable to you be the very same thing that kills your dreams, that kills your vision, that kills everything. I got comfortable racking up debt. I woke up in the back of my car and it delayed me from really becoming the man that I could have been in my 20s because I was so comfortable. If, if, if everything in your life is comfortable right now, you are in your kill zone. Why is it that a frog gets comfortable in the heat? If you take the frog and put them inside of a pot and gradually go up on the heat, you can kill the frog in its sleep because it's comfortable. Don't allow the things in your life that make you comfortable be the very same things that kill your dreams. So every single Day, I'm asking myself, okay, is this getting too comfortable? Where are you? If you're not feeling stretched, if you're not feeling a little bit of, of, of pain pushing you a little bit, then maybe you need to check that because I know Anthony O'Neill. When I get comfortable, I walk around like I'm comfortable. I have this this boast, like yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm gravy. And the next thing I know, I'm not growing, I'm not maturing, I'm not building wealth, I'm not, I'm not going somewhere. So. That would be that the one thing if I could leave with your people today is do not allow your comfort zone to be a kill zone. Yeah, even goes with your kids. Don't get so comfortable saying, oh, they're just kids, they'll be all right. No, no, they will be all right. But when they leave your house, if you didn't teach them the things that, that they needed to know at a young age because you were you just knew they they're young, they can make mistakes, what if that one mistake delays their life? Because you are comfortable, no, get uncomfortable. Have the hard conversations with your kids at an early age, because I promise you, it will set them up for success and it will set you up for success.
0: Let's go, Anthony O'Neill. Thanks, man. This is this is <laughs> a good conversation. Come on, someone's getting blessed today. I appreciate it. If someone who is listening is interested in diving into more of your work, following you online, what like what? How can people find you? Where where do you live, and and where do resources live?
1: Man, you know, I'm just I'm this young guy. You know, you're a young guy too, but you know, I'm I'm a young guy. So, the best place to connect with me on is honestly YouTube and Instagram. Um, you can do both of them at Anthony O'Neill. Look for the blue check mark on uh, both of them after that. As a matter of fact, because uh, every single day I'm dropping money lessons, life lessons, and just practical things. Um, on there to really help you out. And then on my YouTube channel, I have a show called The Table. I got to get you on there too one day, Dave, and just dive in and, and and connect you with my audience. But we're just having a real relevant and relatable conversation. You know, I'm talking to everyday people who are paying off debt, who are building wealth, who are starting businesses. And it's just so, so, so cool. So um, you can go over there to connect with my content, uh, to purchase some products or to get some more um, um, uh, like books or anything like that. You can go to anthonyonell.com to uh, purchase that free degree or destroy your student loan debt.
0: Awesome. We'll put links to the YouTube channel and to anthonyonell.com inside the show notes here. Anthony O'Neill. Thanks, man. It was so nice to hang out with you today. I appreciate the value you've given to listeners. I hope that anyone and everyone who heard something that they enjoyed will also share it with every single person that they know on the entire planet, uh, and that you will tag both myself and Anthony to let us know that you like what you heard. Appreciate y'all for being here this week. We will be back for another week of Rise Together next week. Until then, be well. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.